0: Let's take it to the edge Let's get deflected
1: Hey guys, it's Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daly Knives, and this is the Knife Perspective episode number zero eight one. Blazing away with John, you know what? I, I'm going to go with it. That one came off the top of the head. It's it's not what's in the show notes, but but I like it. I I, I feel like it's money. I feel like it's so money it doesn't even know it's money.
0: <laughs> Very good. How are you, Dan? Uh I'm doing pretty good, man. Um
1: I don't think I've talked to you since I came back from uh Croatia. No. Nope. Um kind of low keyed, yeah. You know, but you sent uh, me
0: lots of pictures of food that made me super hungry. Man. I and a and a boat that you took to get food one time.
1: Yeah, that was uh <laughs> that place is called Boa, uh, and that stands for best of what's available. Uh, and it is an island that is, there's nothing on the island but the restaurant. Your reservation is from 11 to 6. And as long as you're ordering food, you can stay. Every table is its own cabana. Um, some of the cabanas, like the one we were on, are just hanging out over the Adriatic. So, like, order a bottle of wine, have your first course, go out, swim around in the ocean come back, eat your next course, nothing there. Uh, If you don't have a boat and it was, it was a little humbling as people showed up in boats that cost more than my neighborhood. Uh, Like I, (laughs) there was definitely moments where I was looking around going, how the heck did I get in here? (laughs) Clearly nobody was paying attention to let me in. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even want to know how many houses the boat that they send to go pick you up. If you don't have a boat. Um, but the meal was just absolutely phenomenal and you're, you're on this beautiful, I didn't know what to expect from the, the Adriatic, but it is, it's like the Caribbean. I mean, it is crystal clear. The water was warm. Um, it's mostly rocky beaches, a little bit of sand, but it's, it's pebbles.
0: Okay.
1: Um, gotta be, got a little, be a little aware of the sea urchins, but other than that, I mean, it is, there was just not a care in the world. Uh, And then kind of the other direction that was equally good, we went to a oyster and mussel farm. And they've basically got a bar that's built on this big pontoon with an opening in the middle. And they'll push that pontoon around kind of barge style over whichever oyster bed is ready at the time. And then they just start pulling them up The oysters are on pairs on these ropes and they just pull them up, break them off the rope, put them on a platter and hand them to you. So I am shucking oysters that are minutes out of the water. Hmm. Like some little part of me was both disgusted and excited by the fact that I was eating live oysters. Nice. Um, And they were delicious and the screams made it better. (laughs)
0: So uh, how long does it take a oyster to kind of get to be eating size? Is it three years is the minimum three years. Wow. So there's, there's, there's gotta be like tons of those locations for that barge to move around then. Hopefully
1: there is, I mean, it was a, it was a massive bay that was nothing but those oyster beds. And apparently for lack of a better term, the oysters are spawn and they'll let thousands of zygotes or whatever the, the fertilized pears are called. Um, and they'll catch them in kind of fine nets. The these little tiny oysters will bind onto the net. And I think it's a year that they get to, to a manageable size and they'll take them off the net and then put them in what looks kind of like a, a crab trap. And that protects them from things that would eat little baby uh, oysters. Okay. Uh, And they'll grow there for about a year. And then they pull them out of that and kind of bond them on pairs on ropes. Traditionally, uh, wooden planks were used. But these long ropes just hang off of buoys. And then they'll develop there for at least another year. So it's three years minimum, four or five to get big and apparently apparently all wild-caught oysters tend to be flat but this is a species that is extinct everywhere but this one little pocket of the adriatic because when the the bacteria or whatever that uh, killed out these these flat and they are super flat oysters like I'm trying to think of dimensions. They're maybe a half inch thick, but it's a half inch thick all the way across. Like there's no high dome to them. Okay. But this area was uh, so remote at the time that the the infection never made it to those waters, and they're the only example of this species of flat oyster. And they're about the size of my hand. And you shuck them from. You don't pop them from the hinge side. You go in from 180 degrees off the hinge, which is different than the way I learned to to shuck them, and I managed to do it without stabbing myself in the hand. But it was, I mean, and they there was no cocktail sauce, there was no mignette. It was uh, it was uh, tomato ju- or um, lemon juice, and as fast as I could shuck them with uh, a lot of sparkling wine. a a lot, a lot of sparkling wine. (laughs) Nice. Um, Matter of fact, we drank so much wine while we were there that uh, I've been about two weeks sober because I woke up kind of dealing with some jet lag and my liver and my kidneys were sitting on the pillow next to me. And they were just like, Hey, look, dude, we, we need to talk. Like you're at a level that not even we can handle. So I've, I've, You're dealing with dried out, Dan. Matter of fact, this might be the first sober podcast that y'all have had to hear. So um, either congratulations or I apologize. We'll see how things go.
0: I remember you did one at like we did one at like seven in the morning and you hadn't uh, had anything. So, oh, oh, yeah. No, I was totally
1: (laughs) I was totally sober then.
0: (laughs) Or just still drunk from the night before.
1: You know, both are equally possible.
0: I didn't have nearly that much fun here. It was uh, in the the upper 80s and low 90s with like 100% humidity, and uh, I've been fighting off some yellow jackets. We uh, found out that our dog is not anaphylactic uh, <laughs> when she gets stung by bees, but um, she does not do well. So she ended up getting a bunch of hives and stuff, and we ended up having to go to the go to the vet a s a p and they gave her a shot and stuff, and she's okay now, but I've been trying to kill this ground uh hornet that's uh decided to build its nest in between like this like storage area for our pool equipment and this big concrete pad, and it's kind of like built underneath there, so fire, I poured some gasoline down there and like shoved a pool noodle in uh to Uh, Fumigate them. Seems to have done it, but I'm going to have to keep an eye out there for a a couple of days to see if any are going to be flying in and out.
1: Fire is the only way to be certain. You need to chase that gasoline down with a. uh, I like to stand back with a a kitchen match because you can kind of
0: strike and flip it. But uh, yeah, uh, I've seen too many things where people did stuff like that, and then the whole like ground exploded. And I don't. That's how you. I don't. That's
1: how you're certain, man.
0: Yeah, but I don't need that under my concrete pad. Look.
1: It is the modern <laughs> version. It's it, it it is the modern man's version of nuking them from orbit. It's it's the only way you can be certain. All right.
0: Well, I've just been doing a whole bunch of knife making stuff, so I I mean, if you want to
1: sissify and use some diesel that's not quite as explosive, that that would probably work too, but but fire is the only way to to be certain. You want to
0: talk about some of our sponsors? I
1: do. Uh, I also want to uh, give a pre sponsor shout out to uh, Joe Flowers and uh, Bushcraft Global. Because I am headed down for, I think it is my ninth trip to the Amazon. I'll be going down with uh, Jungle Joe for his uh, Bushcraft Global Amazon experience.
0: So the real question is there, what knives are you taking?
1: Um, I am going to make a machete tomorrow. For some reason I have to take a different machete every time I go. Uh, I don't know, it's a thing. I'm doing okay. it. Don't judge me. Okay, judge me, but I'm still doing it. <laughs> uh, so I got to make a machete and the
0: S35VN or
1: you know, I've done a couple of S35VN machetes. Uh, but this one I think I'm going to do 1095 or 1080. Um, some of the edge retention has been nice on some of the hardwoods, but given the enormous pain in the butt it is to do a 12 inch machete in S35VN, it's it pains me to say this, but it's not really worth it. Um,
0: it's probably a real a lot harder to touch up because didn't you say you like? I think Joe said you like smack your machete into the sand to to sharpen it cuz they they don't have any stones and stuff down there in the banks. They
1: don't and they'll um so they'll put a little bit of clay on a log and then different parts of the sandbar have different sized sand. So like you'll go to the front of the sandbar and get pretty coarse sand and you'll put that work that into the clay and then they'll sharpen that like a coarse stone. And then they'll put a little clay down and get some of the fine sand from the backside. And yeah, they literally sharpen their machetes with handfuls of sand. That's crazy. And I thought Joe was kind of kidding, but literally there is no stone in the Amazon. Hmm. Uh, it is, there's about two inches of topsoil and then it is clay.
0: Nice. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. It, it, one of the nice things is you can be chopping with your, your machete and just sink it in the ground. You don't have to worry about it. There's no rocks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's funny.
1: But Yeah, I think I'm going to do a force patina on uh, on either 1080 or 1095. I got to see if I got the, the right dimensions and bar. With, uh, I think I'm going to do a 12-inch clip point, just a little bit of belly to it with um, a, almost a, baseball bat handle i'm going to do kind of a hand and a quarter um not rounded but uh kind of egg-shaped spear shield shaped with just Mm -hmm. a a spur at the back to uh to make sure i keep positive control over it Mm -hmm. last year i did a two hand like a a two grip uh, for light work and heavy chopping but there you use a fairly short blade because the the bush is so dense you can't make big swings. Yeah. And I wound up with a handle that was almost as long as the blade and it looked it was just <laughs> unnecessary. It was a great example of a two handle handle. Like I love the handle, but it was ridiculous on a twelve inch blade.
0: Yeah. Very cool. But
1: but I'm gonna take a machete and a cub and Uh, maybe a piranha. I've got a new design. I got to send you the pictures. Um, it is the first time that I didn't approach design from what's the purpose of the knife. It was a couple of old sketches. I was cleaning up my sketchbooks and I saw two almost overlaying each other. And I mean, it was a, it was a full on choir of angels moment again, like that knife had to be made. Hmm. So I made one and the handle, I think it's going to be good for normal size hands. It was a little short for me. So I made a longer version and it is really nimble in the hand. It's got a really fine tip. So I'm looking forward to to seeing how it does in the jungle because I think it'll work as both a petty knife and a general like hunting knife, a, a general purpose, light kitchen, cleaning game kind of blade. Very cool. So that'll be uh that'll be in the pictures from the jungle. And hopefully I'll come up with a name before then. Very cool. Which as we know is the hardest part of knife making.
0: <laughs> One of them.
1: Okay, sponsors, I'm sorry. I'm all uh Adderall's wearing off. I'm sober. I'm all over the place. I don't know what's going on. Sponsors yeah sponsors we need to talk about so, sponsors
0: i got to spend a little bit of time up at atlas materials uh perusing through their uh, their catalog they were able to help me out with some different handle material and uh they wanted me to mention that they have some deals and discounts that they have sometimes on their ebay site uh ah. so they have some uh either some handle material that they can't get anymore or uh, stuff like that they'll throw that on their ebay store and have it discounted for some of the stuff so some things that um, they thought was going to be a continued product that got discontinued and stuff like that they'll they'll put it over there so make sure you check that out natasha thanks for all your support and she's listened to every show it's amazing poor, poor
1: woman <laughs> i don't know what she has done done to deserve that but both my appreciation and apologies.
0: Yeah, she said she really likes it. So, uh, that's a bonus for us.
1: Wow. I I can't remember the last time a beautiful woman said she liked something I did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Chance Knife Supply too and you can use discount code KP Grip for 10% off handle materials over there and uh they've got a whole bunch of stuff and uh definitely check them out for some jigs and stuff and uh, one of the best fi- or the best file work book you can get uh, from K.H. Daily. So
1: one of, I would say, hands down the best book from K.H. Daily.
0: Yeah. K.H. Daily got a got a couple of ideas cooking for another book that uh, oh, oh. I might need some help with. So we'll see about that. Um, um, if
1: you need proofreading, I am absolutely not your man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no
1: way. No how. No
0: <laughs> uh we also have phoenix abrasives uh you can use discount code kp10 for 10% off all your orders there uh they are getting in a ton of the vsm belts uh vsm seems to be really doing a big push to kind of become a bigger bigger distributor in the knife making world uh lots of people don't know and i didn't know that vsm is the the largest abrasives manufacturer uh, I always thought it was Norton or 3M but yeah um they sell so much to the industrial um making group uh for production grinding and stuff like that that they they sell a ton so they're just now starting to get into some of the um some of the knife making world so make sure you check some of that stuff out there and uh you can get some sanding sticks there and also the Rhino stick uh works really good on the the sanding buddy and stuff like that
1: And I got some one and a half inch shop rolls for my hand sanding and I've got to check with them. I wasn't specific on the kind of abrasive. Uh, We just had a quick back and forth and it cuts really well. I have been really impressed with how well it cuts and how consistent the grid is, Mm. um, you know, I haven't gotten the the random scratch from the little bit of grit that's a little on the high side um mm-hmm. and I did I mean CPM 154 S35 some hardened AEBL and have really been impressed with how well it cuts very cool and the convenience of having the roll over the having to cut up the the pack of sheets has been nice yeah. And I actually have saved um fifty percent of my uh, shelf space. Okay. The rolls stacked up mm-hmm. take up half the space that uh, that all the sheets goods did.
0: Yeah. So little, taking away some of that frustration's gotta be a help too.
1: Yeah, I've found entirely new things to be frustrated about. So you know, it's it's been a win for me. Nice. <laughs> And then Ridge Runner Blades, I uh, just went up to see them last week. Matter of fact, the the new knife pattern that I was talking about earlier, uh, did a little s- sneak peek with them. Um, I had the rough grinds with me, so uh, we did a little sneak peek video, so check that out. And they uh, they are making a significant uptick on starting to invest in some of us smaller custom makers. They are trying to push their kitchen knives, so man, do Kyle and I a favor. He'll do the whole kitchen industry a favor. Feel free to send them a message, an email. Hey, I'm looking for high-end kitchen knives. Love for y'all, because um, Taylor can take that to, to the owner and go, Hey, look, man, we, we need more of these.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then do us an even bigger favor, and when they start carrying our kitchen knives, buy them. I, I really am going to need you to do that because I'm I'm just too pretty to go back to work <laughs> and old and tired, but mostly pretty. Very funny. Uh, they also carry a phenomenal line of general bushcraft and tactical blades. They've got uh, a lot of Winklers up there. So while you're firing off your, your message about wanting to see kitchen knives, be sure to check out their, their outdoor and tactical selection, and if you're in the, if you're in the area, it's a really really nice store. So it is worth uh a, a detour to uh, go check them out.
0: Very cool. And we also got we've also got set supply. Spencer, Ed, and Todd doing their thing over there. Uh, the slingshots are really cool, and they're doing a lot of stabilized wood and stuff that's looking really amazing over there. So.
1: Definitely give those
0: some, guys a shout and check them out.
1: They're doing some cool inlays, too. Mm-hmm. I got to check back in. Uh, they were sold out last time Last time I checked in, so hopefully they've got some more in stock. They were doing some cool flame patterns that I liked.
0: Yeah. When I was talking to Todd, he said Spencer's uh, made his shop bot work overtime. So Sweet. Uh, yeah. it's doing some cool stuff there. And then we got our last sponsors of the podcast, KH Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives. So make sure you check us out, also.
1: That'd be KH Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives for all your culinary and outdoor knife needs.
0: Mm-hmm. And you could find Dan and Kyle's knives at Knife Center. I'm working on a big batch of 33 knives for Knife Center that should hopefully be pretty close to being done by the time the show airs. Ooh ooh uh, ooh 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 ooh! ooh. I, almost, I
1: I did forget. I almost forgot because. Cause I'm saying it now, but by the time this airs, the knife center is going to have, they've got the premier and the premium, the dogwood utility knife. It's a design I came up with years ago and it wasn't practical. It wasn't financially viable to do them by hand. They were just going to be too expensive. And I teamed up with Joe over at LMF and he did that sweet, sweet magic of a CNC machine. And it is a really cool little ambidextrous knife that will fit in a pin pocket or obviously a shirt pocket or pants pocket. Go check them out. There's some cool dragon scales. There's some two color. Um, I am really excited to see this pattern come out as something functional. Uh, They've gotten the first six and then I should have some production blades ready and then I'll before Christmas, I'll I should have another fifty hundred of them out. But the the first six are at Knife Center right now. Very cool. Sorry, i have I. I don't mean to geek out on myself because that's kind of a tool thing to do. But yeah. it's a really cool knife that I'm. I'm very glad that I could bring back to the market.
0: Yeah. So uh yeah you can find both of our knives there and you can find more of dan's knives at the cook station blade hq ridge runner blades like we mentioned earlier and Asheville crafted edge and you can find my knives at Northside cutlery here in chicago he's up by wrigley i'm actually going to be seeing him tomorrow and uh it'll be great hanging hanging out with him and some other knife makers so and we also have uh, Cage Daily knife making tools at Phoenix Abrasives. You can find the sanding buddy and sanding sticks, and Housemade.us for my carbide straightening hammer. And you can find the my file workbook also at Jance Knife Supply and USA Knife Maker. So make sure you uh, give them a shout out and check them out. So for Guild Watch and knife shows, a whole bunch of stuff fell off the list from the last one. Uh we got the Twin Cities Knife Show. Uh that's going to be September 29th and 30th in Bloomington, Minnesota. That's the Midwest Knife Maker's Guild that I'm a part of. I won't be there, I don't think. But we'll see. If I, we'll Why see not? if I can. Uh it's a long drive up there and with uh being the primary person to take the boys to and from school, it's uh a little hard to get away. Okay, um, you
1: you you gave the one legitimate reason that I can't bust your stones about. Well played.
0: <laughs> and we also have uh Blade Show West October 13th and the 14th in Salt Lake City, Utah. So, um uh, that's going to be an awesome show. Yeah, if you guys are in the area, uh definitely try to try to make it, even if you're not, try to try to make it if you can. Wait.
1: Oh yeah, if you're not there,
0: try to be there. No, if you're not in the area. Oh, yeah, that
1: makes more sense. Yeah. Okay.
0: And then shout-outs and Gear Talk. Uh, I've got one that I wanted to give a shout-out. I have been a little overwhelmed listening to Knife Talk and Knife Podcast recently. So I was looking for something that was a little bit differently. And uh, one of my friends put me on to this one. It's the Fly on the Wall podcast. Uh, it's super funny. I've listened to a handful of episodes now, uh, but it's David Spade and Dana Carvey. Yes, and uh, those two guys are—I just find them so 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 funny. I just recently listened to their episode with Jason Sudeikis and uh, his life and stuff, and it was uh really interesting that uh, him and another couple of people wrote the Ted Lasso script and it sat in a drawer for five years and then they pitched it to Netflix and Amazon prime and a couple of other shows and they said not nah, we'll pass and then Apple said uh, we'll let you make one episode and uh, I think everybody's probably kicking themselves with how well that show did so
1: yeah that's got to that's got to be nice to be sitting on in your huge pile of money and your Successful three episodes to be able to go
0: suckers,
1: <laughs> actually, but, in my head, that's not what they said, but I promised I'd quit cussing,
0: yeah, uh, the other one of the shows I listened to was they interviewed William Shatner, and I didn't realize he was ninety two until they mentioned it on the show, and he went into space when he was like ninety or something like that, so uh that was pretty cool. uh well, hearing him talk about some of that stuff
1: he's ninety two but with all the warp and the faster than light travel, like I mean chronologically he's ninety-two, but biologically we're not sure how old he actually is.
0: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh if you're uh obviously not this show, but if you're uh needing some other show that's not knife content, uh they interview a whole bunch of SNL people and um uh, lots of really funny stories from behind the scenes at Saturday Night Live and uh bunch of other comedians and stuff they're super funny.
1: Yeah, uh they did an episode where they talked about Chris Farley that was both interesting and poignant and incredibly funny.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've heard David Spade talk about uh his relationship with Chris Farley a couple of times and was his best friend and he said he like that's not even like even close to best friend was he was so much more than that uh to him yeah uh and i also thought it was funny that literally every single day chris farley would go into his uh into his office and he would do the fat guy in a little coat thing and david (laughs) spade still thinks it's the stupidest thing ever and he he would go come on it's funny (laughs) (laughs) he said he literally did it every day they they worked there so I thought that was funny.
1: That is awesome. All right,
0: All right you got way a to bring
1: us down, dude.
0: Respirator yeah. talk.
1: Yeah. Um. So, well, some gear shout outs and some gear talk. We're gonna come back to it, but I want to thank Liam for some really great questions. Um. We're gonna s- revive the listener question segment that'll follow this one, because Liam asked some really good questions. Uh. And I want to thank. Uh, the one-legged coot. Um, I've been doing some some respirator deep dives. My my 3M 7000 series. It, it finally it bit the dust, um, which was good because I was constantly replacing the head straps and it was getting expensive. And I'm kind of done with that one. Um, and he brought up, uh, but the one-legged coot brought up a great point. Make sure that the the full face, the the lens on it is actually impact rated because some of the ones I've been looking at say that they're impact rated, but when you look down in the fine print, they don't have the proper certifications. So when you start looking at some of these things, sometimes the deal isn't such a deal because, you know, you could lose an eye. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the, uh, in the upcoming full review, there'll be a couple that are warnings. Don't get this. Uh, Because my, man, my eyes have gotten bad. I wear transition lenses, but that, that 18 inch two foot point where I'm trying to work, I've got some prescription, we call them BCGs in the Army, birth control glasses. But they're supposed to fit under like a gas mask and that sort of thing. But some of it is the curvature of the face mask. Some of it is trying to find like the focal point at the bottom of the glasses was at a point where there is an obstruction on the, the respirator. So I've also started playing around with using, I, going back to a half face mask with a, uh, a fold down face shield so that I can use my regular prescription glasses. Uh, and that's been kind of nice. Uh, it's not as elegant a solution as just one full face respirator. I kind of got layers, but it's, it has allowed me to use my prescription glasses without the, the awkward angles or the dead spots that the, the full, some of the full face respirators are giving me. Yeah. So that is, that's going to be part of the list. But short-term, when you're looking at some of these inexpensive full-face respirators, make sure that the, the face shield is, is properly rated for impact resistance. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you've just created secondary missile items, uh, also known as shrapnel. And that is very close to bad on the good-bad scale. Matter of fact, it might be past bad and well into terrible. Gotcha. Little wisdom from your old uncle Dan. Yeah. All right. Two of the listener questions. One is water jetting, is it worth it? Um, Kyle actually does more water jetted blade blanks than I do for slightly different reasons. But generally, I'm of the opinion that as long as you're set up doing batches or that sort of thing, so you're doing a fairly reasonable volume to high volume of exactly the same shape, exactly the same thickness. It just makes sense. It's more economical, both in time and grinding, and when you can nest out your your cuts, you're going to save materials. Yeah. Um, what's your experience been,
0: Kyle? Yeah, I, I've really liked working with the. Uh, That's my first batch. I had water jet cut and um, it was really nice to just grab them off the wall and then everything was exactly the same and was able to do the file work pattern. And yeah, just one of the one of my least favorite parts of the, the whole knife making thing is drilling the drilling the holes in the tang for my pins and stuff. Well, that's and because I was able you to
1: put 6,000 freaking holes in your tang, dude. Well, it's even, as well just, I mean, it's just skeletonized at this point.
0: Yeah. Even the lightning holes for it. Um, I, I use the proper feeds and speeds so the heat all goes into the chip, not into the drill bit. And then, evidently, I like burn my arm and stuff. And I end up <laughs> super mad. So, um, with the water jet stuff, I was able to just put a chamfer bit in there and just hit all of them really quick. I was able to do like all 50 of them in like less than an hour chamfering all the holes and stuff. So uh, uh,
1: the only yeah. real downsides, I think, are you there's a little bit of an upfront cost. Mm-hmm. You're locked into a pattern where a bar of steel can be any knife you want it to be. So, if you're a smaller maker still doing some of the custom stuff, there might be an argument to buy in bar steel because it can be in or any pattern you want it to be. But really, once you start working into batches, especially, I don't know who you're using, but I last time I checked New Jersey steel Baron would water jet surprisingly small orders.: mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, once once you're doing batches, economically, it makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I had New Jersey Steel Baron do the batch that I was doing, and they give you a, uh, for whatever line, I guess it's whatever line of their steel, how many knives they can nest in there. Uh, they give you a minimum order interval. So like my six inch petty knife, that's so that's 11 inches overall. Um, I had to order those in multiples of three. So three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen. 12, 15 whatever. Uh, but my pocket Bushcrafter, I had to order those in multiples of six because that was, uh, I guess how many is in a, is in a line. So when they give you the quote, they'll give you how many you have to order. Um, so the minimum is six and then like you can't order eight, you have to order 12. So. Uh, that's,
1: that's awesome because minimum orders used to be like 50. So yeah. if they're, they're down to threes and sixes and nines. That's really that now the upfront cost is pretty much gone.
0: Yeah. I think that there's like, or um they obviously don't want to just do three of them. Um, I think there might be some sort of like minimum, but yeah, well, at least with what they gave me, it was, I was getting three different patterns done all at the same time. So, um, it.
1: It's still twelve twenty four that's still going to be very reasonable
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and sometimes you can do stuff uh, with the the front if you were to do like a handle shape with the holes you could have like more of like a bar stock um, for the end if you yeah. wanted to do that way
1: um the other question he had was mid techs, the pros and cons and i I think we should do a whole episode on that, but, uh, I do want to touch a little of the, the high level. Um, my experience has been when it works, it makes your profit margin much bigger. So you're hitting higher volumes. You're getting better margins. You're making more money. That's when it works. Some of the downsides is it is a significant upfront cost. Uh, most places have minimum orders of two hundred, two hundred and fifty, so you could be looking at anywhere from ten to twenty thousand dollars upfront, uh, which is I don't need to tell y'all a brutal upfront and a little bit of a little bit of a high risk investment.
0: Yeah, that's usually like if you're getting them ground, that's 200 ground. That doesn't include the steel and water jet and heat treating and stuff on top of that. So,
1: yeah, and I and I'm when I say mid techs I'm talking about turnkey blade blanks that are they're ground, heat treated, finished ground. Um, I like a tumble finish for my mid techs um, I really like a tumble finish and then run it across a, a Scotch-Brite belt. The short and the long of it is you don't have to have a, a polished finish when you tumble it. It'll take out a lot of the machine marks, which is going to save you time and money. It is a nice wear-resistant finish. Um, the wear marks just don't show up that badly, so a year from now, it still looks pretty good
0: yeah they kind of blend into the marks that are already there too,
1: and then running it across a scotch bright belt uh just gives it a little shine it it moves it from looking like um conduit that kind of dull gray to giving it a little more of a little shine a little finished look is my opinion
0: nice Are you using like uh the ultra fine belt with that or um I'm trying
1: to remember, I'm using like a green or a red Scotch, bright,
0: Okay.
1: Uh, I'm trying to remember which one is finer, but yeah, it's just a, and truthfully, actually, I'm having the the production company do that. When it comes to me, all I do is put a handle on it and put an edge on it. You can, uh generally, you can pay them a dollar or two to put your uh, maker's mark on it, or you can, I electrochemical etch it just to save a dollar or two.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but I when I do my mid-tech blades they are truly a a turnkey blade Uh, some of the downsides in addition to the upfront cost is you're giving over production control to other people arguably you have got control in that you're the quality control they've got to work to your standards but people who aren't you are working on your work just no matter how good they are, nobody cares as much about your stuff as you do. So you kind of got to keep that in mind. Uh, if you're a little bit of a control freak like me, that can also be a little bit of an issue. Um, and you start dealing with other people's time and other people's issues. If somebody has a work stoppage, you've got no control over that and it's going to affect your timeline.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then, just as any other time when you're dealing with other people, you know, it, I remember the first deal I did with ALT Wright. It, was, it wasn't Rockefeller or anything, but it was, it was probably five digits. It was the single largest investment I had made up to that point in my life. And he and I did it on a handshake, and it came out perfectly. It was exactly what I expected. It was exactly what we agreed to. But LT's shop is a rarity, just like LT is a rarity. Uh, Get everything in writing, especially these larger companies where your order is going to get handed from person to person to person. You're not just doing it for some sort of legal repercussions. You're doing it so there is a fixed standard that everybody can go back to and go, Oh, yeah, that's what we agreed to. Cause you may misremember it. They may have had a miscommunication. Get a single agreed upon in writing standard so that you've got that. And it may be the club that you use to beat someone into doing what they agreed to. It may be. The notes that you check before you make a jackass out of yourself, expecting somebody to do something that they never agreed to get it in writing. Um, I hate to say that in this industry because one of the things that was great about this industry is it, it was handshakes and honor. It's still honorable that getting in writing is just to make sure everybody understands what they're agreeing to.
0: And if you're doing some of those bigger bid tech things, it might make sense to pay somebody to make a drawing and uh, model up your blade and not just kind of hand them a prototype and say, make them like this. Uh, That way you actually have physical measurements and stuff on there that there's tolerances for everything. So,
1: And there's there's a couple of people that will do um, third-party CAD drawings for you. That is, that's, it's not expensive, but it's not cheap. It's going to be a couple hundred bucks. Um, as much as three, $500 to get a good set of 3D drawings. Uh, a lot of the companies will do a drawing for you because they have in-house draftsmen and they've got to have a drawing to work off of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, also agree that they're going to provide a, a proof to you before they go into full production. And that proof is going to be basically a prototype. It is going to be exactly what they intend on making. Yep. Sometimes it's easier to see things that don't look right in the proof than it is for a drawing, especially if you're us artistic types tend to be three-dimensional Some companies will set a maximum number of proofs they'll do, which is reasonable. Um, They don't want to make 15 knives for you to finally agree to make the one just like the first one they made.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Three to five tends to be kind of the, the maximum number of proofs that a company will do. So make sure you know exactly what you want when you go to them, but ask for a proof. That's, that's the pros and the cons. The pro is you can make a whole lot more money. The con is you got to deal with other people and you got to front some money. And you are being held hostage to somebody else's timelines.
0: Yeah. And if you make a mistake, you can be held to that too. So.
1: Yeah. I, I accidentally transcribed some numbers and specced uh, 1 16th inch holes. And had to invest heavily in carbide bits to drill out two hundred and fifty. Well, drill out five hundred one sixteenth inch holes to one eighth inch holes hmm. because I screwed up. Um, it was a bitter pill to swallow when the the blades showed up, and I said, "Hey, these aren't right." And then I realized it was my mistake another great reason to ask for a proof. I didn't ask for a proof on that run and it bit me in the butt.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: maybe also have a non dyslexic member of your family, um, <laughs> review your specs. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's all I got to say about that. Although I'm kind of thinking, uh, especially with uh, me about to head to the jungle, I'm thinking maybe, uh, maybe we do the, the pros and cons of, um, of mid techs. Uh, I'm, I certainly can tell everybody, uh, I think I'm wor- working on my seventh mid tech run. So I'll be more than happy to talk about all the freaking knuckleheaded mistakes I made. Um, and I think I know a production guy we can get in to, uh, talk about what a, a good customer looks like.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: once I tell y'all what a bad customer looks like, <laughs> uh, and then um, i have talking to a couple of laser companies. I'm really excited to have them on because daddy needs him a laser.
0: Me too. Um, I just need more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm, I may have to go out and shake the money maker.
0: <laughs> Mine doesn't drop any money.
1: Um, <laughs> You're not shaking it hard enough.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to go into talking with our guest for tonight? Yeah.
1: Um, I I guess the, the the interview is the the introduction. I'm sorry. The, uh, according to these show notes, the introduction comes before the interview. <laughs> so uh, we should probably do that. Okay. Hey guys. So tonight's uh, tonight's guest is. Oh, man, I think I've been working with his materials for about. Years now, and he is one of the guys that really helped me get the reputation for working with cutting edge. Really, uh, some people say bling, I say light. what amazes me is the way he works with light. The first material that he did that really caught my attention was a, a chatoyant carbon fiber, so it was everything awesome about carbon fiber, but it had for those not familiar with the term chatoyant it's a pretty sure it's a woodworker's term and it's that interlight that you see in like a really good piece of maple or some black walnut um and he did carbon fiber that had that that same depth of light he's done quite a few other materials and i have absolutely enjoyed um re- it, i don't want to be arrogant, but uh I have enjoyed playing with everything new he's come up with. It has been a really fun adventure to work with his materials how you doing tonight, John thank you appreciate
2: that's uh I do remember you're one of the few visionaries that said hey i i 'll try it out and uh just sample exchange and then boom, there
1: it is It was one of the things that early on really helped me set myself apart from the other makers. That's cool to hear. And it's, I mean, it is, it is striking and you don't see materials like that anywhere else. And I am not saying that just because you sent me a, a free handle set of the, the new red and black chatoyant that uh, <laughs> those of y'all that were checking Instagram, I think yeah. this podcast will go up in about two weeks. That's the the red and black I posted. Yeah.
2: Uh, what are you calling that? Now? I'm just calling it red candy. Uh, ccf is the short version but it's chatoint carbon fiber and um i kind of gauge it because cabot guns pretty much the highest end pistol maker in the world uh, buys that material for their gun grips on their twenty thousand dollar handguns probably up i don't know it's probably a little higher than those that they use them on but they uh but they're all real high end and um and you just can't beat red candy. I've tried blue. I I, I like silver. And that's I've made a number of uh, carbon fiber with silver interlays because, of course, that goes great with most blades. Uh, but, man, the red,
1: <laughs>
2: you know it when you see it, Dan, that it just pops. Yeah, and
1: it really does have that candy apple, that all, almost metallic, deep, reflective red. Right. Um, although I really like the – you did some blue and purple. And – that is actually on my wife's chef knife. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's
2: that's my other product, which is actually almost 20 years old now. But I didn't make a machinable version for, for knives until about 10 years ago. Uh, so I've been making it for a long time, but only in
1: glass for architectural use. Uh, we, we're probably getting a little uh, cart before the horse here. Um Gotcha. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's my own fault. I make the show notes and then I completely ignore them. <laughs> um, let's start with the, the getting to know you phase of the interview. Uh, where'd you grow up? Yeah. Uh, Cleveland
2: area, Northeast Ohio. Um, more, more farther east, actually where the edge of the world is. where uh far enough out into the sticks where I didn't know I was a redneck until I saw
1: Jeff Fox stand up and i said hey that's me
0: (laughs) i think that's i think uh, that's
1: ethan becker's old stomping grounds as well Ooh.
2: so yeah i actually forged a rambo knife back in 1986 oh buddy of mine got together and we built a forge it was awesome i love those days so i grew up around tools and just making things work with your hands you know we never had money so we just made stuff yeah and uh so, yeah, out there in Ohio, uh, kind of way east of Cleveland, grew up and, uh, and then been here ever since. I studied furniture design in New York, but then came back uh, and then discovered a, you know, abruptly that you can't really make a living in Cleveland unless you have a New York address <laughs> or you do the big trade shows. And no one took me seriously. And so I just uh, became a chemist. But either way, it was all in Ohio.
1: Yeah. Furniture was, I I mostly paid my bills, but it was hard for me because I'd spent six months on a cabinet at the end of the project. Right. I absolutely hated it. I did not want oh. to go back into the shop again. I just, that was too long a project for me. Right. <laughs> Shocker. Well, I like
2: I got ADD. <laughs> yeah. That's why I like wood turning too. You know, lathe turning, you get a project done in a day. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Some of those pins.
1: Uh, yeah. Pretty
0: um,
1: cool. I'm assuming the Rambo knife wasn't your first knife. Uh, what was the first knife you had growing up?
2: Well, the first knife I had as a teenager, probably a, a case knife that my parents found when we were remodeling the house, uh, digging out the old insulation, found it inside the walls. So it was probably from the 40s. And I oiled it up and sharpened it. And then I bought Arkansas, white-hard Arkansas stones and and learned how to sharpen and been sharpening knives pretty much ever since. And then, then I remember my Barlow knife was my just my everyday from, like, teens through. Well, of course, when I went to college at RIT, I probably lost it by then. <laughs> <laughs> but I love having a pocket knife. And, of course, I hated just, you know, the slip joint opening with your fingernail thing yeah until later on discovered the the liner locks and so now i carry a spider co just because it's because i ruined my thumb on a table saw and i love that hole that opens it up so fast (laughs) so the lock back yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean i remember buck knives from the 80s oh these these blades actually lock what a great idea
0: yeah it's hard (laughs) to beat some of those spider co's uh like the price versus value uh, especially some of their like lightweight handles and stuff that they put such <clears> high end steels in there and uh, there's not a substantial oh, increase in the price they like, get a really good knife for under yeah, 60 yeah I've been a bucks. steel
2: junkie yeah I've been a steel junkie for years it's like if it's a Rockwell under 60 it's like I just snuffed my nose at it <laughs> and so when I bought a, uh, a spider cove f- or actually I traded it a long time ago and then I decided to do the old file test because that's how I used to test, you know, yep. from uh, gr- uh, gas station knives. Of course, a file would just cut right into it because it's crappy steel. And then I ran a file over my spider Spyderco and it couldn't do a thing. It just rode off of it like it was diamond. You know, what the heck is this?
1: Oh, love that. Yep. Steel was incredible.
0: Excellent.
1: And to Kyle's point, they do a good job of the the high-end steel and the lightweight handle material to, yeah. to hit a very usable price point.
0: Yeah. So do you have any pets, John?
2: Uh, I had a, mostly a cat. I mean, growing up had dogs and, uh, to answer your question about what makes them better, <laughs> they teach us humility. <laughs> I think they, the best part is dogs model loyalty. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there's, it's like God created dogs to say, okay, there, see, that's all. Yeah. It's not that hard. Yeah. I think <laughs> to
0: show us unconditional love too, like, uh, totally. Yeah. Our, uh, my, uh, my best buddy Columbus, he was a yellow lab mix and he would always bring you a present every time you came in and had the biggest smile and yeah, was happy to see me no matter what happened out in the shop or how bad work was or how sweaty I was out in the yard or whatever so
1: speaking of I'm getting the stink eye from matcha through the glass door let me let her in real quick
0: (laughs) (laughs) it was almost Dan's Dan's question so do you do you have any dogs or cats now or Uh,
2: our cat died a couple years ago and and haven't gotten any new ones yet so yeah, gotcha. Cats teach us totally different lessons. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got two new ones.
0: There. Yeah, they they teach you uh, a lot about how to uh, how to be self self sufficient.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh. They teach you that you're you're not very important. That uh, no matter how much you love them, and they and they appear to love you back, they'll they'll still eat you if they give if you give them the yeah. chance.
0: Well, the it seems like uh <laughs> with the cats that I've always been around, the the less you seem to care about them at all, the more they want to come up and have you pet them. <laughs> when I w- when I actually right. I'm like, "Come here cat." It's like, "Get away from me." Flips me the bird.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I have heard that there is an analogy to women in there somewhere.
2: Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> Dogs are like guys cuz they stink. They want to play all the time, and cats are like women because they smell perfect, they have to preen constantly, and they require lots of
1: attention. But on their terms.: Yeah. you know, I'm bold because uh Beth's traveling for the next couple of weeks and won't be able to listen in on the podcast. Nice.: <laughs> Okay, now for the show favorite, everybody's question, the real reason that people tune in to this show. The Kyle Dan question. For those of you that are not familiar with the show, this might be your first show. Welcome, listener number four. We're glad to have you. The the Uh Kyle Dan scale is based on how we each met our wives. Kyle Uh met his wife through an online dating service with the intention of finding his his soulmate and found her in a good, wholesome, all-American way. I... Picked my wife up at her grandmother's wake. So the the question well, is, good. how did you meet your wife, and where does that meet on uh, the Kyle Dan scale?
2: Well, now that's an interesting one. When I read it, it'll uh, I'll tell you the quick, 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 quick story. All right. I um I was working as a chemist at UV Coatings, and the uh, administrative assistant fell in love with me oh. in a way that I wasn't responding to, but I, at the time I no one else was falling in love with me. So, so we did stuff together and I told her I was not interested in her romantically. And I'd been praying all my life for a, for a good Christian girl that was spiritually compatible with me. And she wasn't there. And I said, but you know, we'll be friends. And then, uh, but she was very possessive of me. How, I, and so what happened was her roommate, um came to one of the Christmas parties at the company that we work for and uh met me and I she told me she went to this church and I go, Oh wow, really, you're a... and uh so she did not show any interest in me. She hid it all. And I showed a little interest, but I didn't go there mentally at all. Cause I knew this other girl had kind of a thing for me and I wasn't really responsive to it, but, but what happened is the three of us were safe with each other. So we did stuff socially together. We went out to eat, we did some things. And then, uh, one time, I mean, I don't know, God worked on my heart. I don't know what happened, the way it worked, but all of a sudden one day I realized, wait a minute, Trisha has, all of the characteristics that you've been praying for. And, and in my mind, I thought, well, she's too gorgeous. She's, she's, she's going to fall for the next normal, you know, guy that our little group of three meets. And, uh, next thing, you know, I thought, you know, I'm not going to know unless I reach out. So I sent her and there was no way for me to call her because she, she lived at this other girl's house. They were, they were roommates. So I couldn't call her. No way to
1: call her on the down low.
2: Yeah. <laughs> this was, uh, this was 1998 or 99, something like that. So, you know, no social media phones. We just have email. So I thought, you know, I'm going to email her with this cryptic email to make it kind of funny. Cause I figured if she wasn't interested in me, she would, you know, it'd be kind of funny. I could back out gracefully, but she, she didn't really respond right away. And I immediately thought, Oh my God, I I did the wrong thing. She's going to tell me. And she did send me an email back that the way I interpreted it was you, uh, it was as if she was telling to me, Johnny, (laughs) bringing that back. And that, you know, can't you go for someone more your type like Joanne, (laughs) this other girl. And so I just tried to, bow out gracefully. And then she all of a sudden sent me a note at church that said, you are worth waiting for right now is not the time. Let's let's wait this out, figure this out. But I, but, but at the end of the note, she said, you are so worth waiting for. So I immediately knew that we were going to be married. Then we went out on a date and it was the first time we ever had a chance to talk face to face without this other girl. And this date, the minute she got into my truck, I cleared off the seat because it was all messy because I was a contractor. And I said, sorry for the mess. And Trisha said, I would live in a ditch with you. <laughs> that's
1: pretty strong. You-
2: so that's, uh, that's the shortest way I've ever explained it. And uh, so we've been married 23 years. That
1: has got to be the most wholesome story since Kyle told his. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm impressed. That's a pretty good one. I mean I was looking forward to having you on team, Dan, but you know, it, <laughs> I gotta admit, that's a that's a really strong story. If yeah, you know, only you're into honesty and morality and all that sort of thing.
2: <laughs> We're no different. We're just normal people, but uh I definitely believe that God could put us together because because I've been around the block enough to know that, man, the odds of finding someone on your own are impossible. Mm-hmm. you got, you got to pray to God for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's um,
0: pretty
1: good. Fortunately, Beth had done something so terrible that uh, God felt like she needed to be punished. And
0: I was there to be her punishment. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> and continued punishment. And, and here you
2: are still. Yeah, I'm a giver. <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs> That's
0: funny. So you said when you, uh, you did some woodworking and then you got into the UV resins, that's how you got started doing some of this stuff or you were worked as the chemist first or how did that happen?
2: I was a high-end furniture builder, worked with a lot of, you know, I loved automotive urethane coatings. I love to make wood grain pop with a high gloss finish. And, and uh, and so I won't get into the story how I became a chemist, but I, uh, ended up there because I was interested in the company and they let me use their facilities for free. Cause I just said, I want to try this stuff out. It was a coating that you could spray and then in 30 seconds, put it under UV light and then you could sand it to a powder and apply more coats Wow, who wouldn't love that. Yeah. You know? So I did that and then they offered me a position. I went there for uh full time for a couple of years and, uh, and I definitely made more money doing that than, than building furniture for a living. But while I was a chemist, that's when I uh, found these color-changing films that uh, looked like dichroic glass when I wetted them out in resins. And so, and I'll just go back really quick. When I was a furniture builder, I used to use real dichroic glass in my furniture. And they would often sell as upcharges because it looked great the way I used it. But I had to hire glass artists to cut it. and It was real pricey material. But it wasn't until later that when I became a chemist, I found these films. They're like iridescent film that you would find at a
1: craft store. I was going to say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but for those of us that are not engineers or college educated, uh, what is yeah. dichromic glass? Okay, dichroic glass,
2: D-I meaning to, and then cro. C-H-R-O-I-C. So it's uh it's the type of glass that jewelers use. Uh they heat it they melt it. And it's pretty cool in jewelry, pretty cool in glass blowing. But it has limitations because it's glass. You know, very difficult to cut. Like if I handed you a sheet, you'd say, Hey, that looks like your dichro lamp. Yeah, but you can't cut it on a table saw. Yeah. So uh I wanted a version that was machinable. And so I found these films and learned how to pattern it in a unique way that no one else had ever done to bring out colors and texture. And then my chemistry background helped me figure out the uh, adhesive chemistry to bond resins to the films, because the films are very difficult. It's like cellophane or, you know, I guess, like picture a bread bag that's polyethylene film a lot of adhesive don't stick to that. Yeah, But I figured out the adhesives that, to get it to stick. And my first versions were for glass, like big tabletops. I did a conference table for MTV out of it uh, initially. And won all kinds of awards. It made a top 10 list at Material Connection Library in New York City. So it was mostly used in architecture initially um and again sorry i went too fast um i explained dichroic glass that's used for jewelry that i did not make that's not my invention but when i found these films i basically made an equivalent to dichroic glass um, but i had no size limitation because these films i could get in big rolls so that's why i made big sheets like big conference tables so that's where i went after architecture and all the while i was trying to figure out a way to make a machinable version that you could run through a table saw without delaminating and that took 15 years of research to figure that out that's why i did mostly glass versions of my own product called and and again the name of my product is dichro lamb okay so, dichroic glass is a common prefix. Dichro, d-i-c-h-r-o. Well, since I did a lamination, that's why I called my product dichrolam. And that's a, still too complex. Sorry.
1: No, you know you're good. I was just, um, dichroic glass and the, the the films that you use. What causes the I guess it's the light to either refract or bend the way it does. How do you get that? What is it that gives you that that depth and color? And the? Yeah, a good question. The films
2: themselves are actually transparent. But the versions that you've used, Dan, have a black background. So all you see is the reflected color. And since there's no pigment or dye in the film, what it is is in the in the thickness of the film, picture the thickness of a sheet of paper. There's hundreds of layers that are designed to filter light waves. And they reflect certain ones and, tra- and transmit others. And so it gives it the highest color saturation of anything in the world. That's why opal looks so cool, because the gemstone opal has the same optical physics. Oh. And so, therefore, you got this real high color saturation. And then when I pattern it in my 3D method, it actually brings out other colors. But it also brings out a 3D texture. It's, it looks cellular, if you've seen any of my products, like, like kind of uh, blood vessels. The, the first one... So that's a 3D effect coupled with the color saturation that makes it so cool. And then on top of that, it actually color shifts and color changes, like those chameleon pigments that are used in color-changing paint jobs, you know? Mm -hmm. So all my Dichrolam color shifts from a color that you look at looking straight down on it, and then at an angle it'll change color. So it's got those three major things that visually are like candy to your eyes. You've got a three D texture that that looks you know, everybody likes three D. Yeah. It gives you even though it's under a flat surface. And then you've got this intense color. And then you also have a color change.
1: So the the color change, we're we're literally just seeing different lights different light either absorbed or reflected. It's not a It's not a refraction like you would get from a prism.
2: It's similar, but not really.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's extremely technical and or you're not giving away shop secrets.
2: Well, part of it is I don't want to. It's hard to explain without getting too technical. In other words, it's it's colorful, like holographic and holographic film is more like a prism. Whereas dichroism is more of a light, light wave phase filtration system. Yeah. Without getting too technical, yeah. it's, it's more like opal, because the way opal makes its color is there are micro cracks within the quartz of the stone, and that uses a, a principle called thin film physics that causes the color change. And that's the same thing as the films that I use in Yeah, there,
0: There's a person doing some uh, synthetic opal stuff with resins and stuff that's looking pretty cool. I forget the the name of the person offhand, though. Sorry, I'm making some notes.
2: Yeah, there is crushed opal that guys use. Actually, Ringmakers okay. use that, where they're taking synthetic opal which is a little different, but similar to what I do. Okay. And then they crush it and pour resin around it.
1: And uh, on a side note, the, the first uh, film that I saw that you had done, I actually thought it was one of the uh, like the electron microscope images of uh, dyed bacteria growths.
2: <laughs> yeah. It, it
1: looked so organic and the color was, was so sharp that right. I thought it was a, a photograph.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's why I probably don't get a lot of sales because people look at the pictures and they don't realize it's actually three D. It's also uh random. Like it's not molded. It's actually uh the way I pattern it, it it's consistent, but it's very random.
1: I think that's what gives it the organic feel.
2: Exactly. Yep.
0: Yeah, no two are gonna be alike.
2: And, and that's just one of my
1: products. Yeah, and that's uh you're relatively new well let me see if I understand this. You you started off doing furniture and, and art installations, big big pieces. Yep. Uh and then did you kind of back into the the handle materials first uh firearms and then knives? How did you How'd you go from these big pieces to to doing the the smaller pieces?
2: Uh, Mostly because I knew from a marketing standpoint that if I could make, there's two things going on. If I could make a machinable sheet that I could ship to people, then they could cut it themselves. Then I get higher yield per sheet. Whereas architectural, and again, I could only really do it in glass. I had to make everything to the custom size that was specified. So it was a lot of labor. And if you get a bubble in the corner of a, of a six foot sheet, well, you have to scrap the whole sheet, you know? <clears throat> and the other problem with architectural is it's one end done. You know, you could put five grand worth of marketing and samples into a, into a, into a certain architectural firm. They'll specify it. Maybe you get one job and then you, then you never hear from again, unless they, reorder and we've had a couple good architects that do that but the orders are you know years apart and and I had the best sales reps I still have the best sales reps but they just the other issue is that architects can't specify color they, they only want earth tones <laughs> and so that's why I've done like almost 11 children's hospitals with uh, my big sheets of Dichrolan glass. But, uh, but that's because children's hospitals have to use color, but general architecture, I I didn't get, I don't get very many sales at all. They want very new. So that's why I use, I realized that this material actually looks better more in a jewelry type use rather than an architectural use. And so a jewelry type use, I thought, well, naturally, uh, knife handles, um, Partly because it's not, you know, I was making the product not to be as pricey as actual Opal. And that's why probably you don't see real Opal used in knives because that's $20,000 a square foot. Yeah. But I knew as a, as a knife guy myself, it's like, well, I would like to use something like Opal. I think it would look cool. So that's why I pursued the knife and gun handle market.
1: One of the impressive things is a lot of times when people go from large to small, they don't appreciate. It can look really good at a 12 by 12, but once you shrink yeah. it down to one and a half by five, if you don't have a really complex pattern, it just disappears. Like the Exactly.
2: The, and believe it or not, I have the opposite effect with architectural. My sheets actually don't look as good when they're full field surfacing versus a couple square inches. People hold it up to their face and go, "Ooh, that's got really neat detail. See, It actually looks better in a small amount.
1: (laughs) I can see where it's either overwhelming or if you're a couple of steps back, you start losing that fine detail that you see when it's a small piece.
0: The colors start blending together.
2: A good example of that is my fire burl. It is actually my most popular of all the dichro lamps. Because if you hold a small piece and you look up close, you see every color of the rainbow. However, when you step back and look at a big sheet, because it has every color of the rainbow, they all blend in and kind of goes brown.
1: Huh. <laughs> in a minute, uh, I want to talk about the the carbon fiber and and some of the other uses that you work with, but I do want to talk about I think one of the coolest things I have seen was the the deep sea piece that you did with the uh, manta rays. Yeah, that's uh here you want to see it. That was absolutely amazing. Oh, you've got it in Oh man, it's in my living room. Oh, I didn't need to know that. Yeah.
0: Dan's going to need your address that,
1: that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen <laughs> oh, and it was i loved the he did a he did a video as he poured I the, headphones, the acrylic in and it went from uh you know, right, kind of colorless and then as the acrylic runs across it or whatever resin that was used then the color starts to pop.
2: Right. That's what, um, that's like when you guys polish your, when I send you diacrolate, when you polish it, that's when it really pops. Oh yeah. Same idea with the material is it, is I pattern the films and then it's not until I pour resin on it that it just, that color just jumps.
1: And that's one of my favorite part. I like it with a, a really nice, Range piece of wood, some other things where you're pretty sure you know what it's going to look like, but you don't really know until you get to those high level polishes, right? <laughs> uh, and that's just a, it's a rush, yeah.
2: Just like sharpening a knife, you know, you do all this work waiting for that final step, <laughs> and then you round
1: the edge over and hope that nobody notices and cuss yourself and go,
0: back. <laughs> yeah, throw it across <laughs> yeah. the shop like some people do, yeah, I,
2: I, or the buffer flips it out of your hand and shoots it across. The
1: uh, cup. I, I have nightmares about <laughs> using a buffer on a shirt with a
0: knife. Yeah. yeah.
1: I will occasionally use it to, to buff up a handle, but it buffer terrifies me.
0: I use yeah, the yeah. Scotch, Wright Deburring wheels a ton. Those uh, like hard, like one inch wide wheels. Uh, for rounding over oh, some yeah, of the steel geez, corners so. and stuff, it just takes that burr right off and makes it nice and smooth. But yeah, I had one that I was going to love those too. Uh, I Had one of those that I was going to show for my knife makers guild. Uh, that I had spent a ton of time hand sanding the flat, and yeah, flipped it out of my hand and hit it against the the leg and busted a big chip out of the edge. So,
1: <laughs> as we all know, inside every kitchen knife, there's a paring knife. Yeah. <laughs> now that's funny.
0: Yeah. Um, I it still it, si- totally. still sits on the side of my workbench. Uh, I'm uh too disgusted cuz the piece of wood that I had on it that was going to be super cool too. Um I use
1: I think it's Craytex. It's got like a hard rubber wheel that's similar that I use for uh polishing, cleaning up, getting some scratch marks out. Uh, I also use it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give everybody a, a little secret here. Uh, one of the reasons I mark my knives on the spine with my name is if I mess up the mark, I can rub that, run that craytex wheel or the deburring wheel, and it polishes yeah. the mark right off the spine. It's nice and shiny, and then you can just go ahead and remark it, and nobody ever knows you messed up your mark. The ultimate solid surface. Yep.
0: Until you start doing file work there,
1: yeah, which might be one of the reasons, although I did buy my book, <laughs> and I've thumbed through it and I've got my uh my patterns and i've got uh I've got about twenty hours of airplane uh travel coming up, and that is one of the books that I have earmarked to take with me nice, so you may be seeing some file work coming out of the old dogwood shop can't wait
2: <laughs> I saw your. Post on file work your your uh, favorited post, mm-hmm. Kyle, and that was just great work. Thanks. Love it.
0: Yeah, it's one of the things that I've been kind of known for the most, and have taught the class at Blade Show the last three years. Uh, this year, Perfect. I actually had in my PowerPoint presentation take a picture of the class. You forgot the last two years uh, is like the second <laughs> slide. So, uh, if you see the picture of the class this year, and you zoom in on the the little laptop. It actually says, Take a picture of the class you forgot the last two years
2: so uh, it's a good, it's a good idea that's why we call you
0: Kyle the file guy, yeah <laughs> all right, so we
1: talked a little bit about the uh, the diper lamb. The other material that I really like to use is um your chatoyant carbon fiber yeah, now that's one of my favorites. Do you have to sacrifice a chicken on the full moon to get that to work <laughs> like a I mean, are we talking Santeria here, or is it full dark voodoo?
2: Like- it's a weird story. Here's the deal. I began built, making guitar tops. Well, it started when I did my uh, other architectural diker lamp called Dune, where I make a mold and I pattern a sand dune ripples on the back of glass. So then I uh, sprayed metallic coatings to trace the 3D effect, and so the sparkling grains of sand became uh, the sparkling metallic pigment. And I loved the look. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm making a mold out of this organic, ripply effect. And here I am, a, a high-end woodworker, and that reminded me of figured wood, right? Like tiger maple. And so I thought to myself, you know, let me try a quilt pattern. So I made a mold out of quilt figure because I love quilted maple. It's an exotic type of figure. And so then I sprayed metallic on the back of this effect. And so I said to myself, well, if I really want to simulate wood figure, I need a fibrous type of material, not not metallic paint, but some kind of a fiber that reflects light. And then I immediately thought, well, I just described for myself carbon fiber. Because carbon fiber is a fiber, just like wood, it reflects light. And so then I went and bought carbon fiber. And I put it in the quilt mold and pressed it and cured it. And I only did a real thin layer. And I realized, oh, my God, that looks just like quilted maple. It's got the the fibered reflectance. And yet it's a real wood figure. Of course, the wood I drew in, in... in my computer program based on top grade 5a quilt and so uh real quilt and especially the top grades are you know hundreds of dollars a square foot just for high-end quilted maple and the higher the grade the higher the price and so when i drew it in a computer i actually eliminated dead spots and made the, the pattern very consistent and so i bump it up to 6a grade. And so I did a couple of guitar tops with it. And at the time, here's where the story gets interesting. Is I only made thin layers of carbon and then I filled it with epoxy, clear epoxy on the face. So that you're looking through the epoxy and seeing the 3D effect of the formed carbon. And my first guitar is made that way. And I didn't realize that until I sanded through the epoxy and hit the carbon. And I thought I ruined it. And what ended up happening is, is the little area that I actually sanded into the, the solid carbon actually carried that 3D effect, even though it was sanded flat. And I go, wait a minute. The solid part of the carbon carries the ghost image of the 3D molded effect. Without me filling it with epoxy. So that told me that, hey, what if I layered the carbon really thick and then used real high pressure presses? And so I was able to mold the carbon with a real high pressure press. And then I sanded the surface flat. And sure enough, even though it was flat, it looked totally 3D. It was, I literally simulated. In other words, my Chitoia carbon fiber is structurally identical to real figured wood. Because if you take any, you know, curly maple, and if you split it, you'll find out, you'll see the wood fibers actually curl. They literally curl. But when it's surface flat, what you're seeing is the ends of the fibers, and the fibers reflect. And so that's what I did with the carbon. And so that's the quick in a nutshell story of how I discovered how to make it.
1: And it, it really does look like quilted maple, but it's carbon fiber. Right. I was, as a woodworker. It has even higher reflectance than real wood. Yeah. I'll take it up 2,000, 2,500 grit to polish it. And it is absolutely stunning. It is, isn't it? And I would take it up further than that, but, um. At some point, I find that if you polish it too far, wear marks just show too easily. Yeah. What are you using on your final? Uh, I am actually using uh, a slurry of pumice and mineral oil and a felt block. Ah.
2: Because I've tried high-speed wheels. I've tried pumice. I've, that tends to, what can I don't know, all I know is after trying a bunch of different high-gloss polishers, nothing beats um, heavy-cut rubbing compound in a cream form on a felt... I'm sorry, a foam uh, automotive polishing pad. Low RPM. So I turn my polisher to the lowest RPM, so I'm using a a, a, a 10-inch diameter foam pad that's wet with automotive compound and it brings that carbon right from a 1200 grit is is when I stop like wet sanding or diamond or trizac, whatever I use when I, when I go to whatever you use to get to 1200, I don't even go to 2000 anymore. And then this, uh, uh, heavy cut rubbing compound just brings that gloss. Like you wouldn't believe. Um, I'll have to, it almost looks like it's sprayed with a coating <laughs>
1: i'll have to check that out because i'll go um
2: but i've seen pictures of your knife you get a pretty good gloss of it so.
1: i'll go 2000 wet dry and i use uh again i'll use white mineral oil for the the wet and then i'll yeah, use 4f yeah. pumice and then uh, rosetta uh, powder uh, Ooh. and again just a, a slurry and i'm hand rubbing so i just make a a slurry with mineral oil and then use a a felt block that at this point, so impregnated, I probably don't even need to make a slurry anymore.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'll try that. I have some, uh, I'll try that.
1: Yeah. It's the similar to how I used to finish a French polish. Gotcha. Gotcha. Back when I wanted to just drive myself absolutely nuts. (laughs) Because that ghost ring's not going to show up until the last fifteen minutes of what you think is finishing your project. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> witness lines hate it. Um. So, other than uh, your recommendations on polish, uh, any other suggestions on the most effective ways to work with the the dichromium or dichrolam or uh, chitoyant carbon fiber?
2: Well, if you're ever going to try my material, always try the dichro lamp first because it's it's just solid epoxy. I get all the air bubbles out. I use a, uh, a special grade that's really nice. And uh, and that's easy to machine. It uh, sands like a dream and takes a great polish. Whereas the Chateauic carbon fiber is being that When I I didn't mention this before, but I use unidirectional carbon fiber. So all the strands of carbon go in one direction, just like real wood. That's why it looks so cool. Well, that's the other downside is if you're going to mill it, like let's say you used a a flush trim bit on a template and you had a two-flute carbide cutter. Well, if you're not careful when you're going around the perimeter – you're going to split because you're going to go uphill of the grain. Mm. So basically my chatoyant carbon fiber machines, just like ebony or wenge, you know, like a, a very splintery wood.
1: Right down to the sharp little bits that stick in your skin and make you itch. Exactly. <laughs> That's actually the worst part of it. <laughs> yeah. A little, a little, uh, safety, just like, some of the very hard, oily, exotic woods. Respirator, even when you're sanding. Um, and I I usually work my carbon fiber at the end of the day and then immediately go home and take a cold shower. Yeah, the cold water helps. Because if you take a hot shower, that's going to open your pores up and that little bit of carbon fiber is just going to get deeper. Yep. But respirator, respirator, respirator when you're using that stuff.
2: Yeah, I've read a lot about it. I've read that uh, they say the carbon fiber dust is no different than any other nuisance dust. But you always want to take your precautions.
0: Better be safe than sorry.
2: In other words, they don't classify it like asbestos.
0: Which is good to know,
2: (laughs) cancer and all. It's
0: good to know, uh, yeah.
1: My general rule is if it's going to make my eyes sting, I don't want to know what it's doing to my lungs. There you go.
0: Yep. One of the guys that I got a piece of your material from also said to cut it upside down, like, cause it was the dichro lamb, uh, so that the right. the film was going into the, the clear. So you wouldn't like kind of separate it. Very good. Uh, exactly. Very good. Yep. So exactly. I thought that yep. was a good tip. Yeah.
1: Sharp blade, fine tooth blade, slow feed. Yeah. Um,
2: I've I've actually got the adhesion so good with the dichro lamb that you actually can cut it with a bandsaw with the glory face up because a bandsaw, is, especially a sharp bandsaw is a very low aggression type of cut. Mm. But in all my literature, I always say, yeah, cut it with the back up so
1: that the teeth enter the, the thin back part. Yeah. But, uh, and I'll use a, a 60 or an 80-tooth uh, finished cutting blade. And did not read your literature the first couple of times I used it and still didn't have an issue cutting it upside wow. down. Cool. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> God looks after idiots and drunks, and I tend to be both. There you so. go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then, of course, you know, you always cut oversize, and then you abrade down to your final, so that that's even better, yeah. you know.
1: Um, any um is there any abrasives or uh you know, speeds or anything that that someone should be aware of when they first try and using it or work it like you would any other resin material
2: I would say work it like any other uh like drilling holes for instance I always say high r p m low feed you know
1: much like uh, highly grained wood. Kind of like
2: even cutting it on a table saw. You know, very slowly go into your material. is going to be the least aggressive cut.
1: As long as your blade is moving
2: fast.
1: Well, and the, the high speed bit with the slow feed just keeps you from getting blowout.
2: Right. Especially, like, in drilling holes. Um, I always, in my literature, I say, you know, learn how to grind a Brad point bit out of any drill bit. One of the easiest things, especially a knife maker, should know how to grind a brad point bit <laughs> without having to buy a set of brad point bits. And the nice thing about that is once it's sharp, you know, uh, I always say drill from the back going down into the face. Yeah. Or if you're really
1: good, you can drill from both sides, you know. Yeah, I, that's a level of precision that uh, that you're not going to find in my shop right now. Yeah. But that's the nice thing about the Diker
2: lamp is it's clear. Is if you start cutting through the back, you'll actually see it,
1: <laughs> yeah, right
2: through the material. <laughs> that's a good exactly. point. I'm just always Get afraid your... I'm going
1: to be a few thousandths off, and my pen's going to be ugly. Right, exactly.
2: <laughs> but drilling from the back, going through the face, you're, you're fine there, and uh, We've t- that's why a higher speed will cut pretty clean. <laughs> I meant, I meant a higher RPM.
1: Um, and clearly knife handles, we've talked about firearms. We've talked about, uh, installations for, for big pieces. I've got a, a wedding band with some, uh, uh, What are some other industries that use it?
2: Oh, I did mention the in-ear monitors. Those guys are buying it. People, companies from all over the world actually are buying it. Uh, case knives buys, Pretty big amounts sometimes. Um, Guitars. I'm looking, you know, I, I would love to to sell my material for cell phone case covers. Huh. But getting a hold of those companies is impossible. That, I mean, you can get a hold of small time Etsy shops where guys are working out of their garage, but, you know, they're not going to buy the volume.
1: You, you need to know somebody that knows somebody
2: to get the meeting. Exactly. And that's an interesting segue into a new thing, is I actually have a, a team of investors now. I don't know how I got them. It's a long story. But they seem to know people, and they, and they, they cannot believe my stuff is selling everywhere. And so I told them it's all about who you know when it comes to higher-end companies. You know, Because I would like to get into uh, yacht interiors and private jet interiors. Um my material is great for inlays into wood, you know like cabinet doors um, uh, gauge clusters and instrument panels like picture a uh a supercar or a yacht that would have uh all your instruments you know that's that's a perfect application for both my carbon fiber and my dichrolam Now the dichrolam of course is so colorful that it really is best in small use area like knobs or inlays. It's, it's a lot more narrow, narrowly limited than, than my carbon fiber is.
1: I meant to send you some so. pictures. I was working with um, Joe at uh, LMF and he, uh, he did some positive negative pieces for me to uh, inlay the, the thin strips that I got from you in uh, yeah. G10 and um, micarta. Oh, nice. And especially, like, the J, the neutral G10, um, if there was, like, if it was, um, is it the, it's not the fire opal, it's the blue-green opal that you do. Yeah, the Black Sea. Black, the Black it's Sea, do that with um, Ghost or, or uh, I, I guess they call it Ghost G10, and then put huh. a bright green liner behind it, so the, the green fades through the the G10 Oh that's interesting. And then you get the pop of the the blue green inlay. Nice. Uh when I'm at the shop tomorrow, I'll I'll get a couple of pictures to, to send to you to I really like the effect.
2: Yeah. I I love black G10. I did a pair of gun grips of inlaying the black sea right into the black G10. And once you polish it it's so dark really makes it pop
1: yeah and it's that that splash of vibrant iridescent color
2: yeah yeah then some guys are using uh like black corian and some other synthetic solid surface material for the dichro getting great results um but yeah it's a tough one with the dichro finding other applications besides knives and um in-ear monitors actually one of the highest selling versions of my diacrolam is the flexible thin film where I sell it to to the ring makers that just inlay it into a ring channel and then put resin in it. I, I've I've sold hundreds of square foot of it. of course a hundred square foot of that material probably makes a hundred thousand rings because they only use a little piece quarter inch wide by three inch long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's an interesting
1: market there. Yeah, that's that's how they did mine. Oh, cool. So where do you get your
2: inspiration? Oh, good question. It's um, I have an insatiable appetite for visual dynamism. I just uh, it started out when I was. I was a high end wood carver in high school built this uh, wood carved chest. And I just had this complete conviction that God gave me this gift. So I carved into the top of this chest. This is before I knew anything about the Bible or anything. And I said, uh, I carved into it. I said, God gave me the gift of creativity. I'll give him the gift of my creations. And so then I went to college and partied and ruined my life after that. And then God shut my creativity off like a light switch. It was crazy. Even my professor told me, John, what what kind of drugs are you doing? Your sketchbook was full of, you know, honor show material. And now you're, you're, you're toilet bowling. And that got my attention. And, uh, and then I became a Christian. And then I just, I thought about that kind of, so I guess you'd call it a vow or whatever I made, you know, four years earlier. And I go, well, if you give me supernatural levels of creativity, I'll give you credit. So, so he delivered and that's why I have more ideas than I, than I have the wherewithal to, to execute. And, uh, and so that would be one aspect of my inspiration. And then another aspect that you're probably asking about would be, you know, what other things. And I would say scuba diving is a big, inspiration and in coral reefs. And I've always loved the way water refracts. And so the idea of pouring a clear resin, I mean, that, that you could see it in both of my products, dichro lamb and Chitonium carbon fiber, where, where I just love waveforms that where, you know, there's a depth underneath this clear surface. And that's kind of a theme of all my products: is, is you have a very flat surface, but it's miles deep topography.
1: So, I I can see that in some of the like I said the earlier the the organic shape that a lot of what you make there's a there's a distinct flow to it. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> what other materials are you working with?
2: Oh man, I love automotive metallics and pearls. And uh, so I'm always testing and and trying different things. I think you might've seen on my Instagram feed, I made this intentional Fordite the other day where instead of using carbon fiber, I just layered up different uh, chameleon pigments with clear resins and then put them in my molds. And so I'm going to be developing more of that. Uh, what I can't wait to do is a purple candy and then interleaf it with gold metallic because I love the complementary colors of gold and yellow, or I'm sorry, purple and yellow. And so, uh, so I'll be doing that. And then I've also tried Kevlar, but it, as beautiful as it looks, it doesn't machine very well. <laughs> uh, as far as other materials, though, um, there is so much to develop within a very small group of materials that I currently work with that I'm going con- to push that envelope for a long time now. Um, so, as far as trying other things and new materials, not a whole lot on the horizon except for I'm going to be making new molds for my bigger oven. Because, uh, again, my investor team is going to be pushing into the uh, yacht industry. And I discovered a technique to get the same Chateaune carbon fiber effect using my larger 12-foot ovens. So I can make larger sheets. Now, that's good news for my v- veneer. Because I make it in a veneer form for uh, for guitar tops, as you've seen not good news for knife makers because my bigger oven doesn't create the pressure to get a void free panel so the knife scale stock I use my 200 ton press which took me six six months to weld but that's limited to two foot by four foot so but I love making new molds because there's just it's it's the sky's the limit as far as the patterns, you know, there's quilt figure. There's like, you've seen my big flame. I think the pieces I sent you, Dan, were
1: from my big flame mold. Mm-hmm. So you saw the dramatic <clears throat> waves that are in it. Which I loved as I, as I started to put the contours in the handles, You and you had warned me that there were a lot of layers in there and I didn't appreciate how, how sincere you were. Until you start machining it, yeah. Man, it gives a lot of action into that handle. Again Right. Yeah, it, you've got so I've got such a small space to work with. You've you packed a lot of motion into it. Exactly. <clears throat> That's
2: why I think uh carbo quartz wins out or used to win out over my material. Because carbo Quartz, are you guys both familiar mm-hmm. with that? I'm not. Yes, yeah, like three thousand dollars a square foot.
1: And that's why I'm not familiar with
2: it. there you go,
0: yeah, it's a and, similar carbon fiber product and, with other layer colors and with the carbon fiber and stuff like that.
2: yeah, and they also have a unique layer in there that actually is some kind of a quartz that gives it a really beautiful crystalline effect, and that's where I think people appreciate it but um but I knew that if I was ever to encroach on their ultra-high-end status, I would need more visual effect. And so that's why I've been de- delving into the thinner layer
1: realm now. Uh, if you're just now getting that text, it's the picture of the handle I finished today. It's the, the material he's talking about right
0: now. Yeah, I got it pulled up, but yeah, just getting a ton of other messages. And my phone is my head in my pocket, and it keeps buzzing. So <clears throat> it's now on the other workbench.
1: <laughs> i just saw you getting all excited so i assumed it was you're, you're looking at a picture i had sent you no
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no well, that red that red and black is really cool so
2: that's an interest yeah I- so that's an interesting subject dan um i've i don't i haven't pushed my toy carbon fiber much because i've kind of just dis- gotten disappointed with the knife world is that Many guys will spend three grand a square foot on carbo and if you did a search you 'll see a lot of top end folder makers using it, but they won 't spend a thousand dollars a square foot on my material and Carbo is made in europe, but i 'm an American guy making it inventing it, and making it here in america but i don 't have the marketing punch that carbocords has because they are they are branded by this. Swiss watchmaker in Europe. And that's why everybody loves them.
1: I, and it might be my woodworkers background, but I just, I, I love, we keep using the word chatoyant, but I, I love the chatoyants and the, the really organic feel of the chatoyant carbon fiber combined with all of the advantages of carbon fiber. Yep. Uh, It's so stable. Uh, it's stable, it's easy to work with, it's tough, it's lightweight. Um, some of the heavier handle materials i got to start playing with, adjusting my tang early in the production process to get the balance I want. Um, and the carbon fiber, that, there's very little I have to account for when I put the handle on. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: So the Chetoyant carbon fiber isn't like the dichro It's It's the, the whole thickness? Not even it's a little whole... bit that so it's got a whole or that's the whole thickness of all the colors and stuff whatever you make
1: Yes. or it can be some of the early that i liked was just black it was just a right. black carbon fiber but when you polished it up it really it looks like highly polished quilted maple yeah i
2: still make that and uh and it's available it's um I just made a uh, big half inch thick uh chunk of it for uh for an ultra high end guitar builder that's doing an exhibition guitar out of my material, and he wants to do the acoustic bridge, which needs to be half inch thick so uh so if you want to try some solid material, if you go on my Instagram stream, you 'll see it, and it is heavy, hard. Uh, would be a bear to cut, but, but, but yeah, it's solid. You'd love it.
1: Yeah. The carbon fiber is not the, the dichro lamb. It's not as he can add color to it, but it's not so much the thin film, the color shifting that you get. It is, again, it's subtle, like a really nice piece of maple that, that depth and fire the sheen in it. Yeah, uh, and you—it's—it's yeah. it's carbon fiber in every way. It's unidirectional, so it's not a—you a, don't get the woven or the basket pattern. But you, right, you can polish out a if thin piece, both and bikes. you swear it's six inches deep. You—you you think you're looking through it yeah. or deeper yeah. into it.
0: Gotcha.
2: My two products look, are, look so different. You, you wouldn't believe that the same person came up with it.
0: <laughs> you want to tell the folks how they can find your work and get some of your awesome products?
2: Yeah, the uh, best thing is to look up my name on Instagram and direct message me or my website. Last name is B-L-A-Z-Y. And you should... That'll be easy enough to find on Instagram. I'm not, there's only a few of them. And then my product name is dichrolam. And I'll spell that D I C H R O L A M. And you'll find my website, dichrolam.com. And my Instagram account. Other than that, I do sell through distributors, maker, material, supply, And uh, they don't carry my carbon fiber because it is so difficult for me to make. I have to price it between 600 and and 1,000 a square foot. So by the time that's marked up, no one's going to buy it. So that's why I just sell the carbon fiber direct.
0: Okay. Very cool. Nice. it was great talking to you, John, and um yeah. uh if you want to see some of
1: his work it's uh it's on my instagram or uh again the uh instagram is john blaze yeah john dot
2: underscore dichrolam l l c very cool but yeah dan's got yeah. great examples of my work so all you have to do is go to dan's yeah. instagram and you'll see a lot of examples of my material <clears throat> in the uh, yeah, the colorful stuff as well as the carbon fiber.
0: Yeah, Dan and I both have handle material problems, and uh, it's a uh, a little bit beneficial because him and I like different stuff, so we aren't competing, but we also share some stuff too. So
1: uh,
2: cool. My only problem I is I you a- an email, uh, Kyle, asking for your
1: address because I'll send you some scales. Also, excellent. Yep. Yeah. My only it. problem is I don't have enough storage space or not. Or I can't make knives fast enough.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, one of those is a lot easier to fix than the other problem. You would think. <laughs> I can help you with storage space. <laughs> uh, you only set five sheets here, not six. <laughs> That's some of that Ooh. Chicago math. Yeah. How you do it? <laughs> And you can keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com and knife Perspective on Facebook and Instagram, and anywhere you can find podcast, we're on it. Uh, you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com and he's Dogwood Custom Knives on just Instagram now. Yeah,
1: um, there it looks like there is a way for me to try to recover the company Facebook page, but my personal is, is gone. Hmm. Um, I gotta be honest. I'm really done with Facebook anyway.
0: Um, okay, So you just delete Facebook off here.
1: Um, probably. And it's just as well. They wouldn't, they were really restrictive on what I could do as a knife company and yeah. they weren't giving me any business and screw Zuckerberg.
0: Yeah. And you can keep in touch with me, Kyle Daly's of Cage Daily Knives at cagedailyknives dot com. Cage KH Daily Knives on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Threads now. Uh, Threads, yeah. What kind of
1: newfangled youthful thing is that?
0: Threads is uh, Facebook Meta's version of Twitter. Oh. Uh, so I grabbed grabbed my name, uh, did a couple of posts, and uh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be continuing much on there, but you can find me over there if you're over there. Uh, let me know what you want to see over there. Um, I was really hoping that you would be able to uh, click the uh, share to threads uh, version where you can share your Instagram post directly to Facebook, uh, but it does not appear that they want many pictures on threads. They want it to be more text-based like Twitter. Uh, oh. was. Then, um, no, I ain't being a part of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Thank you, John. And we look forward to uh, talking again.
2: No problem, man.
0: All right. You want to say good night, Dan? Good night, Dan. <laughs> well, let's take it to the edge. Because that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective get to the point we're gonna talk about our things now cause that's what's expected